0: All right, go ahead and get your Bibles out and uh, turn to Proverbs chapter 20. While you're turning there, let me just give you um, a, a little bit of a uh, uh, something that will help you maybe. I got one, thank you. Uh, with memorizing these verses, and um, Scotty just, he, he brought up a good point, and I know that some of you others have, have run into the same kind of issue. It's not, it's not that big of a problem necessarily, but one of the best ways to memorize a verse is to get a whole picture of what the verse is saying. And sometimes what happens is we end up just trying to memorize words, where if you get if you just read through the verse a few times and try to understand what the verse is saying, it will be a whole lot easier to memorize it. Um, and then sometimes you run into words that you have no idea what they mean. Scotty ran into one jot or one tittle, you know, shall in no wise pass away from the law. I mean, those are not words that we necessarily use. So... Uh, one of the things that may be helpful with that then, too, is go look it up. Uh, I mean you can use a strong concordance, but all you have to do is look it up on the internet now and it 'll give you the, it'll tell you exactly what that word means you know 1828. or webster 's eighteen twenty eight dictionary is a great one for that too because yeah, a lot of those words that that were written in the Bible in the 1600s were still very common in the in the mid to late 1800s A lot of those things kind of started changing in the, in the 1900s and, and you know i don 't know where things changed you know, so much, but people got very lazy in their speech is what happened. And, you know, we started saying like, bruh, and that kind of stuff, you know, and that that's the words that people use nowadays instead of in no wise, you know, <laughs> bruh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But you know what I'm saying, like, it, it's really what happened is we, we did get lazy in our speech, and the, the lazier we got in our speech, the more words changed, and the less we used intellectual language, and the more we used just sloppy, lazy language. It's what happened, you know. So, um, maybe Nitten would know some more about this, but, you know, somebody comes to the United States and learns the language, uh, the language is a whole lot different what you learn in the books versus what you learn on the street, you know. And you could know language, you, you can know the English language by the book and have no idea what somebody's talking about. You know, we do because we're used to it, but um, I think it will help you to memorize the verses if, number one, you get an overall picture of what the verse is, is you know, the idea of what the verse is trying to get across. Uh, But then also, if you have a word that you don't understand, go look it up, and that will help you to understand the idea, which I think will help you to memorize the verse at the same time. So um, that's something, you know, obviously, it's not that I haven't memorized verses. I, you know, we we memorized 52 references uh, last year, you know, last year, a year before. So we've memorized a lot of verses, but just this time, it's kind of brought it into focus uh, because it's verses, a lot of these are verses that I, you know, that I haven't really memorized before. I know them, but I haven't memorized them necessarily. And so uh, trying to understand the concept of what the writer was getting across helps tremendously with trying to memorize what he's saying specifically, you know, the exact words. So rather than than memorizing words, memorize an idea, and that will help you to memorize the words. Try that if you're struggling with memorizing some of these verses, and I think that will help you. All right, we are talking about enemies of so winning. Did everybody get an outline? Anybody need an outline? All right, um, and this is uh, this is number twelve in this little series that we've been doing on enemies of so winning. We've talked about a lot of different things. We talked about fear. We talked about um, hyper Calvinism. We've talked about um, uh, the, obviously number one, the very first thing we talked about was the devil's attempt to try to. Uh, distract us from soul winning. Um, we've talked about lordship salvation. We've talked about last week's sloppy soul winning, just, just trying to get somebody to pray a prayer so that we can count them down as a number and say they're saved. And All of those things are enemies of soul winning, and one of the ones that we're going to talk about, or what we are going to talk about tonight, you see, is discouragement, and that is a big, big enemy of salvation. One of the problems with developing a soul winning church is getting people over the, the natural resistance to being an active soul winner. Um, yes, Christ has saved us, and yes, it's something that we can be excited about, but going and confronting somebody about their religion, that's the way that they look at it, or going to confront somebody about whether they're going to heaven or hell is not a natural thing. It's not like we just run around and saying, oh, you know, oh, how's the weather today? Are you saved? You know, I mean, we just don't do it. It's just not a, a natural thing. And so to try to get people over that is, is a difficult thing to do. And, and, but once that's accomplished, even once you get over that initial hesitation and you really do get excited about telling people about Christ and you're not ashamed to share the gospel and all of those other things, it's not so much smooth sailing either because the devil's going to throw as many obstacles in the way of a personal soul winner as he can. Um, and, and especially in front of a soul-winning church, as he possibly can as well. He knows that he doesn't have the real power to hinder God's people. Uh, God, he, He's on the losing side. God has already won. God has already uh, defeated Satan, and Satan already knows that he's defeated. So he's going to try to get as many things in there as he can, and if he can get, his, if he can get God's people discouraged, then he can get them to quit in frustration. And when they, you know, when they started with such high hopes, to me, one of the saddest statements to hear from a Christian in, in this world is, oh, I used to do that. I used to go out soul winning. I used to tell other people about Christ. I used to serve in the church, whatever. Sometimes they sin and they backslide and that keeps them from doing it. Sometimes they, uh, you know, false doctrine will get in, whether it's into an individual's life or into the church and they reject what they used to believe. But sometimes it's just a simple fact that they got discouraged and quit. And that's, and, and that's why discouragement is such an enemy of sowing. Now, this is not a new problem. You can see that the Bible mentions um, how hard it is to find faithfulness in people. Psalm 12 and verse 1, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. Our, our, our verse for tonight, or our text for tonight is Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 6. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find? That's not necessarily our text as much as it is as a jumping off point, but uh, number one on your outline is this. Faithfulness is so valued that it's both explicitly required and specifically rewarded. Let's look at a couple of verses together, can we? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 2. This is a verse that you know, and you've probably, it's, it's, not a, it's not a hard verse. Most of you have probably memorized it. But it says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. We'd all say that we're stewards of God. We're servants of Christ. We serve Him. We live for Him. But the Bible says that it's required in stewards. It's required in a servant of God that a man be found faithful. So it's explicitly required. Matthew chapter 25 and verse number 21. This is in the middle of the parable. And we've read this many, many times. You know this verse probably as well. Verse 21 His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. But we always say that. I want to hear him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. But we say that so quickly, a lot of times we skip over that. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's explicitly required. If we want to hear him say, well done, then we have to be faithful. Revelation 2 and verse 10, fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Faithful, faithful. There's a lot of things that the Bible says that we should do, but most of the things that that end up culminating in rewards in heaven revolve around faithfulness. And what happens so many times is, is faithfulness fizzles out. And we used to do this, but we're not faithful to do it anymore. Sowing is one of those things because of discouragement. In fact, faithfulness is included as a prerequisite for the people who are dealing with other people in the Lord's work. And I, think every, uh, I think one of the reasons is because working with people is often very discouraging. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 2, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Pastor Brothers always used to say the ministry would be great if it wasn't for people. Uh, and I mean, that, But that's what the ministry is, right? The ministry is people. And obviously he's kind of talking about it more from a pastor's perspective, but we are all in the ministry of winning souls to Jesus Christ. And sometimes that's very, very frustrating. Because we work and work and work and work with somebody to try to get them to Christ, and it just seems like they have no interest in it. It just seems like they don't care about it. Um, But that's what our job is. Many a Christian has started out on fire for God, ready to, as they say, charge hell with a squirt gun, only to fizzle out in the end and... Uh, you know, when things didn't turn out as as successfully as they'd hoped or they had planned. So how can we defeat that? How can we defeat discouragement? Obviously, we can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God. But I think there are some specific things that we can think or not think, for that matter, specific ways that we can approach soul winning that can minimize the potential for us to get discouraged and then quit. So let's take a few minutes uh, and talk about those things tonight. The first thing is this. Make and this is number two on your outline, but make obedience, not pragmatism, your foundation. And I know that's that's a big word, but let me let me explain this to you a little bit. In the 1970s, the Independent Fundamental Baptist movement was um, it, it had the biggest, most, in, in air quotes, successful churches in the country. In the 1970s, the biggest churches in the United States were Independent Fundamental Baptist churches. They were the fastest growing, they had the biggest Sunday schools, they had the largest bus ministries, all of those things, and because of that, a lot of pastors led their churches to copy the methods of what the independent Baptist churches were doing, uh, because those methods is what apparently built big churches, and that's what everybody wanted, so that's what everybody started doing. To them, it was things like a well-organized Sunday school, uh, a big bus ministry, um, door-to-door soul winning, and I'm not saying that those things don't work, but that's the method that was copied to bring success. Everybody in the whole country, for that matter, in the 1970s was doing those things. Most churches had a bus ministry. Most churches had, had door-to-door soul winning. Most churches uh, were, um, you know, had, had Sunday schools that were well organized and were, and were large. Well, you fast forward to the 2000s, and maybe you can even say just a little bit before that, but, but in particular the 2000s and the contemporary evangelicals had the biggest, most successful churches in the country. And so because of that, a lot of pastors led their churches to copy the methods that made those churches successful. And to them, that was, you know, uh, the casual atmosphere. That was the contemporary Christian music. That was, you know, little to no confrontation and soul winning. And if the first one was good and worked in the 1970s, then that would also mean then that this new method in the 2000s also worked because it was growing churches. That's, the, that's what pragmatism is the idea that something is good depending on what the outcome is, and it's it's very corrosive to gen, genuine spirituality. Pragmatism is the idea that as long as we're getting good results, then it must be right, and nothing really can be further from the truth. You know what the biggest reason is that people use for why they don't go sewing? It doesn't work anymore. A lot of churches have stopped sewing because it doesn't work anymore. You can go knocking on doors, and you can go to a street with 25 houses. You might get four or five people home, and none of them want anything to do with you. None of them want to talk to you about the gospel, and you go home, and nothing happens. It doesn't work anymore. Telling people about Christ one-on-one does not work anymore. Um, the foundation was pragmatism. Uh, and when Soul Winning didn't seem to be working to build their church anymore, they got discouraged, and we, they replaced it with some new method. Um, and some you know something that they think works, back, works better and I'm not saying that we can't use new methods. I'm not saying that we can't you know be in the modern age and use the internet and use social media and use those things to try to get the gospel message out. We can we can but what I am saying is that I think a whole generation of, of independent fundamental Baptist pastors missed the boat. They sold confrontational so winning and, and that's just you know telling somebody, personal soul winning, telling somebody one-on-one, they sold the idea of confrontational soul winning pragmatically to their people. We're going to do this because it works. And when it stopped working, they gave up on it and they quit doing it. So even a lot of the churches that were were grown in the 1970s by door-to-door soul winning have completely stopped doing that and have completely changed their methods. And that's one of the reasons why You know, you think, how can a church that was so strong and so straight and so doctrinally right be so off today and be so different today from what they were even 30, 40 years ago? That's how, because they were only doing that because that was the method that worked. And when that method they felt no longer worked, then they switched to methods that did, and that led to all kinds of contemporary compromise and everything else. Um, We don't do it because it works, although I think it still does. Uh, We just may not see as many results. Pastor Brothers, I remember him saying he used to be able to, you know, you'd go, you could get one out of every 10 people or so uh, knocking on doors to, to get them to come to church or at least to get them to talk to you about the gospel. One out of every 10. That was back in the 70s and the 80s. Now, I think it's probably one out of every 100, maybe more than that. Maybe one out of every 150 that will actually sit there and talk to you or that might actually come to church because you invited them. I don't know what those numbers are exactly, but we don't do it because it works. We do it because we're commanded to do it. We don't do it because it works. We do it because we're commanded to do it. That's why we go so many. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's not a wish. That's not a, well, if it works, then do it. That's a command. We are commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Mass evangelism does that. It gets out into the world, it preaches the gospel, but it cannot reach everybody. We've talked about that, being a, being an enemy of soul winning. It, it works. We can have a big crusade and we can share the gospel, but number one, you don't know what all of those people in that congregation are thinking, and you certainly can't answer every one of their individual questions like you can do that when you're knocking on doors. Or, and I'm not even talking about knocking on doors is part of what we're talking about with confrontational soul winning, but I'm talking about you, know, you talking to somebody that you work with, or you talking to somebody that you, uh, you know, see in a, in a grocery store or, or, or you know, in a parking lot or something like that. That's what I'm talking about. Confrontational soul winning does not just have to be knocking on doors and talking to them about Christ. It's, it's all the situations that we get into where we could and should be telling somebody about Jesus Christ. Mass evangelism works to a certain extent. We can see people get saved. My father-in-law got saved in a Billy Graham crusade. My mother-in-law got saved at a Billy Graham crusade. He, they, they, there was a, it was actually a film that he, that you know, he used to do that. He showed a film. They came forward at the end, and they dealt with somebody individually who talked to them and explained the gospel to them, and all of those things. So mass evangelism does work to a certain extent. Modern forms of mass evangelism, like like a crusade or like uh, social media or the internet or broadcasting or all those things, but they cannot reach everybody. Because number one, you have to get them there in the first place. Number two, you got to get them uh, to the media in the first place. And you, you can't reach everybody that way. You have to take the gospel personally and individually to every person that you can. Acts chapter 20 and verse 20, Paul said it this way, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. That's what Paul was doing. We consider the Apostle Paul to be the, the, the greatest Christian that ever lived. Now, we don't know every Christian, but we know a lot about the Apostle Paul. And I, I think you could say that at least in the Bible, he was the greatest Christian that, that's, that's mentioned in the Bible. Probably the, the greatest soul winner in the entire Bible. Won so many people to Christ. But look at how Paul did it. He taught publicly, and he went from house to house telling people about Jesus Christ. There isn't a single verse in the entire Bible that says, in essence, go witness so your church will be bigger. There's nothing that says, go grow your church. It says, go tell people about Jesus Christ. Go give them the gospel. They made the wrong thing the target. And when they stop hitting the target, they stop firing the weapon. And that's a big mistake that I think a lot of churches made in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. Uh, their formula was wrong church growth does not equal success obedience equals success and i've said it you know many times that whether our church has 20 people or 200 people or 2000 people wherever we end up our size doesn't mean that we've made it or that we failed if we end up with 2000 people in this church it doesn't mean that we're successful if we end up with 20 people in this church it doesn't mean that we failed as long as we've obeyed christ's command to witness and disciple then we are doing exactly what God has told us that we should do. We're doing exactly what God wants us to do and we're exactly the size that He wants us to be as long as we're doing what He's told us to do. So obedience, obedience equals success, not church size, not any of those kind of things. and, and sadly that's what's happened a lot of times, uh, especially with many of these contemporary churches today is that they, they, they base success based on the size of their church. You can get a crowd to come to anything. Look, if, if, if size has anything to do with it, then you go down to Innsbruck on a Saturday night and they've, they're successful, right? Because they've got a large crowd there. Crowds don't mean success. And I'm not just saying that because our church is relatively small. I'm saying that because it doesn't matter. And I'll say that when we have 200 people. And I'll say that if we get to 2,000 or 20,000 people. It does not equal success. Obedience equals success. And if we ever stop we ever stop trying to get the message of the gospel to people in a lost and dying world, then we've stopped being successful no matter the size of this church. We've obeyed Christ's command to witness and disciple, then we're doing exactly what God wants us to be. Not only is that foundation more scriptural, but it also eliminates a tremendous amount of discouragement and thus the motivation to give up on so many. We didn't do it because it works. We did it, and we didn't stop doing it because we felt that it didn't work. We did it because Christ commanded it, and we were obedient that's why it works. So, number 1, make make obedience not pragmatism your foundation. But number 2, let God answer, where are they all? Let God answer that question. Because that's, you know, one of the greatest attacks that's that's that's, you know, hurled at so winning churches is where are they all? You guys go out knocking on doors all the time. Where's all the people that you've won to Christ? We go out knocking on doors week after week and sometimes it does seem like there's no results. A lot of people aren't interested in hearing the gospel the same way that they were before. People have become a, a whole lot more uh, private and a whole lot more suspicious of somebody standing on their porch and a whole lot more bold in, you know, turning the gospel away. But a lot of people attack soul winning as being invalid since it doesn't produce measurable or visible results. But here's a, two, a, a response to that question, twofold. Number one, Jesus had the same problem. Do you remember the story in, in Luke chapter 17? And those 10 lepers came to Jesus, and they wanted to be cleansed. And they went to the priest, and on the way to see the priest, they showed their faith, because he didn't cleanse them. Before they went, he said, go show yourself to the priest. And on their way, they were cleansed. And how many of them came back? One. Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, and verse 17, Jesus answering said, were there not 10 cleansed? But where are the nine? The other nine were just as cleansed, they were just as saved as the one, but only one showed visual spiritual progress up to that point. Jesus had the same problem. He went out and did a lot of good. Not a lot of people stuck, so to speak. Not a lot of people responded to his message. I mean, look how many times Jesus went and preached to a crowd, and the next thing you know, they're trying to kill him, right? What's that? Yeah, exactly, exactly right. Here's the second uh, answer to that. The actual problem is making measurable results your goal when obedience ought to be your goal. We've kind of summed that up already, but whose job is it to convict the sinner and bring him to Christ? The Holy Spirit. Is it mine? No. It's the job of the Holy Spirit. my job to tell them. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict them and, and, to, and to bring them to Christ. Whose job is it to transform that, that man's life and make a testimony out of him for God's grace? The Holy Spirit. It's not my job. We're commanded to tell them. We're not commanded to win them. We're commanded to tell them. Now, obviously, telling them is going to result in winning people for Jesus Christ and seeing them come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. But my job is not to win them. My job is not to build that conviction. That's the Holy Spirit's job. That's His job to do those things. All I'm going to do is frustrate myself if I'm trying to do the job of the Holy Spirit. My job is just to tell them, look, they're not rejecting me, they're rejecting him. They're not rejecting my message, they're rejecting his message. All we are is, is couriers. We're just sharing the message that we've been commanded to pass on. If they reject it, they're not rejecting us, they're not rejecting our message, they're rejecting him. And of course, that's a whole lot more serious than if they were rejecting me and my message, Right? My goal, the foundation of my approach has to be one of just simple obedience and let him take care of the results or even the lack thereof because sometimes that's what happens. Where are they all? They're in God's care. That's where they are. And it's his, it's his responsibility to convict them. It's my responsibility to tell them. So make obedience, not pragmatism, your foundation. Let God answer the question, where are they all? And then lastly, remember, number six, in do season in due season you know you might notice that capital P next to the uh, next to the the uh, quotation mark there that's not there on purpose by the way uh, the command on a computer to print is control P and I hit that and nothing happened And I was like that was weird so I hit it again and I looked on there I didn't see anything of course after I got them all printed off I was like oh there's where the P went right there <laughs> so you have a capital P on there It doesn't mean anything but we have to remember that the results come in due season. If you plant tomatoes in May, and you expect those tomatoes to come up two weeks later, you're going to be awful discouraged when you go out there and there's nothing on the tomato plant that you can use, right? Because everything takes time. And those tomato plants are going to come up in due season. And it may not be for a week or a month or two months or three months. But when those tomato plants are ready, they'll come up and you'll be able to get the fruit off of them. The Bible is crystal clear. In fact, turn over to Luke chapter 8. The Bible's crystal clear that there are seasons of fruitfulness in relation to witnessing and then seasons when it's seemingly barren. The Bible talks about in Luke chapter 8, the story of the uh, of the sower and the seed. And he's throwing that seed out there. And a lot of the seed didn't fall on very good ground, did it? But it says in, in Luke chapter 8 and verse 15, But on the good ground are they, which is an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit. What's those last two words? With patience. With patience. Because that's what it takes, especially today. I think you used to be able to go out knocking on doors and be able to give somebody the gospel, and they had a background in what the Bible was. They had a background in who Jesus was. They had grown up going to Sunday school and vacation Bible school, and they had heard all of it already. And they just hadn't given in. And you come and talk to them, and that conviction of the Holy Spirit, you know what, I really do need to get saved been waiting for somebody to come and tell me how, and they get saved. Today, people have no idea who Jesus is. They have no idea what the Bible says. They have no foundation in whether the Bible is true or not, and so you have to start back at square one. So it's going to take time to work with somebody, to get them to the point where they will accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, but sometimes it'll fall on good ground, and even when it falls on good ground, it takes time to grow, and that's why he says, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Sometimes you'll work, and work, and work, and work, and nothing. And another guy will come along, and all of a sudden, that person will get saved. You know, uh, was he spiritual, and you weren't? Was he good, and you were bad? Did he do a good job giving the gospel, and you didn't? Paul speaks of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and verse number 6. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. See, discouragement happens. This is number 7. Discouragement comes when I look at someone else who's getting results and I'm not getting any. I think, what am I doing wrong? Why am I even doing this? This is ridiculous. Look at that church over there. Man, they're, they're, they're seeing people get saved every week. What are we doing wrong? Why, blah, blah, blah? And you know what? It's not even worth it. Why, why even keep them going with this? Discouragement happens when I start looking at somebody else's results instead of focusing on obedience. As long as we're doing what God wants us to do, leave the results to him. They're going to happen. We are going to see people get saved if we keep at it, if we do it enough. Results aren't the point. Results aren't up to me. Results don't show up on my timetable. Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You know what happens? A lot of people faint before that due season comes. They quit. They give up. I've gone out on knocking on doors every Saturday for the last year. And I haven't seen anybody get saved. We've passed out thousands and thousands of flyers. We've mailed out, you know, tens of thousands of flyers. Where are all the people at? Don't faint. (laughs) In due season you shall reap if you faint not. That's what he says. The results are going to show up. I'm promised that. The Bible says in Psalm 126 and verse 6, He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall what? Doubtless. Come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. I'm promised that the results are going to come. How many times have we been out knocking on doors and no one comes from that invitation, but then somebody shows up out of nowhere that we didn't invite, that just happened to see it on the Internet or happened to, you know, talk to somebody in passing and they mentioned it? Uh, that happens a lot. And those are, that's God giving the increase. That's God blessing the effort and blessing our obedience to do what he's commanded us to do. The results are going to come, but but, who says that those results have to be in this lifetime either? Sometimes we may not see it in this lifetime. Sometimes they do, but sometimes they don't. Sometimes I get to see the fruit and enjoy it, and sometimes I don't. Look, you don't know how many times you've given somebody a tract that they read and got saved, and they had no idea who you were, and you had no idea who they were, right? You have no, no idea how many times you've talked to somebody at Lowe's. And you've given them the gospel and then you never see them again and they later on maybe hear the gospel from somebody else and you know what there was a guy that told me about that and God's been working on my heart since that day and they get saved you may not see the results but that's the point we get discouraged when we don't see results because we're focused on results when we shouldn't be focused on results we should be focused on obedience that's why we get discouraged when we shouldn't discouragement should not be part of the equation because results is not the focus obedience is the focus, and we leave the results to Christ. I'm thinking of several people right now that I've witnessed to over and over and over again only to find out that they went to a different church or ended up talking to somebody else and getting saved. Look, the exciting thing is they got saved. Oh, man, I, the, I'm the one that told them about Christ. I should have been able to lead them to Christ, you know? But look, some planted, some watered. God gave the increase. It didn't matter if I won somebody to Christ or not. It still didn't have anything to do with me. I might have watered, but God's the one that gives the increase anyway. God's the one that gives the conviction. God's the one that brings them to himself. That fruit is added to my account because even though I may not have been the one to see them pray and get saved, I planted and I watered. But it's always God that gives the increase. It's always God that gives the increase. And when we get focused on, well, I had this many people saved, or I've been out this many times and I haven't seen anybody get saved. And we're focusing on results instead of on obedience, and we're going to get discouraged. Even when I do lead somebody to Christ, it's God that gives the increase. You know, it thrills thrills my heart to hear the stories of you all that you all tell me of witnessing to to other people. You know, you keep doing that; you do it enough times, somebody's going to get saved, right? It's just like you hear stories of, of startup businesses. And oh man, I pitched this idea a thousand times to a thousand different people, and on that thousand and one time, that person, you know. Realized that I had something great, and they invested, and now look at this company, right? Uh, Thomas Edison, how many how many times did he fail at the light bulb, right? He failed, I mean by all accounts about a thousand times, but he kept he kept going, he kept going, he kept going because um, the you know you're well they say even a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then, right? And that's exactly what happens. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm not trying to take away from, from that in soul winning, but that's exactly what happens. You tell enough people, somebody's gonna get saved. Well, I never see anybody get how many how many people have you told? Five? You know? Of course you're not gonna see many results if you tell five people. Right? Start telling fifty or five hundred. Obey God's command to tell people about Christ, and I can promise you you're gonna see some results. We get discouraged because we don't obey his command if we start focusing on the results. Uh, We don't see a a whole lot of results a lot of times, but that's not the point. When you carry the burden of results with you, then discouragement is going to happen. Discouragement comes sooner. It happens deeper. And a lot of times it causes somebody to just give up altogether. Stop worrying about what happens. Just go. Just go. Go carefully. Go thoroughly. Go scripturally. Go prayerfully, but just go. That's what Christ has commanded us to do. And keep going. And then let God take care of the rest. It's it's only natural. It's it's a human it's a human emotion for us to get discouraged when things don't turn out the way that we want them to turn out. But especially when it comes to soul winning, it has nothing to do with how things turn out. Well, oh, I've I've invited so many people to church and nobody comes. If you if you knew how many people I've invited to this church if half of them came we'd have to have three services you know <laughs> but we don't focus on the results we focus on doing what God has told us to do and that's why that's why our theme this year is each one reach one and I've said it so many times that it's not about reaching somebody to get them to church it's about reaching them with the gospel of Christ somebody coming to church means nothing if they don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior but them it's all said and done someone that comes to church means nothing if they don't hear the gospel So we we try to bring them to church because if they come, they're going to hear the gospel here. But that's not the point. The point is to get them not to church. The point is to get them to Christ. The point is not results. The point is obedience. And if we're obedient to Christ, then it doesn't matter if we look. You've you've heard a story of, of Adoniram Judson. He went over to Burma as a missionary. He was in Burma for seven years before he saw the first person come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Could you imagine if Adoniram Judson was there for five years and said, these people are stupid. This is ridiculous. I'm getting out of this place. You would never have known who Adoniram Judson was. After six years, after six and a half, at seven years, if he just said, you know what, I'm not seeing any results. This is, this is worthless. This is a waste of time of going back to America. But he saw that one soul gets saved, and he stayed obedient. And he was able to do some tremendous things for God there in Burma. And now we know the name of Adoniram Judson because he stayed faithful. He stayed at it. Obviously, results were not the focus of why he was doing what he was doing. It was obedience to Christ. It was obedience to Christ's command to go. And that's what he's commanded us to do. And as long as we are faithful to obey his command, then it doesn't matter what the results show, we're successful in God's eyes. But on top of that, If we're obedient to go, we'll see results. God always blesses it. God always blesses it. And it may be that someday you stand up in heaven and you have this person and this person and this person and this person come up to you and say, hey, you remember that time you gave me that track? Remember that time when we had five minutes and you shared the gospel with me? Remember that time I got saved? I'm here because of you. We may never see the results in this life, but the results don't matter. Obedience is what matters. And as long as we go and we're doing what Christ has commanded us to do, and we shouldn't get discouraged. We shouldn't get discouraged. Don't let that enemy keep you from doing what God has called us to do, and that is to obey the command to tell people about Jesus Christ. We do that, we're successful. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. Thank you for the time that we've been able to spend together here tonight. I do pray that you'd help us not to get discouraged. I know it's a natural human emotion. We get discouraged when things don't go the way that we expected them to go. We get discouraged when we don't uh, see the results that we expect to see. But I pray that you'd help us to focus not on results, but on obedience. And the more we go, the more results we're going to see. But the more obedient we are to Christ, the more obedient we are to share the message of the gospel, the more we're successful in the eyes of God. And so I pray that you'd help us all to be successful in the eyes of God. And that we will be able to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because we're faithful to do what you've called us to do. Thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.